Welcome to The Read Along, a mini book club for your ears. A proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. I'm your host, Scott. I'm your other host, Anita. And join us on a journey through a good book, one one chapter chapter at a time. Hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden, the Well Endowed Podcast explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds. The podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can check out the podcast right now at thewellendowedpodcast.com. Quick disclaimer. There is a baby behind us. Please forgive the adorable cooing. Uh, I want to say that I've had a little bit of time to sit on the last chapter, and I don't think I acquitted myself well in my argument for why I didn't like it. It deals with some heavy topics and some topical topics, Mm, specifically like just kind of the, the systemic racism inherent in our society. In, in I'm going to say, quote unquote, Western society, because it's as much in North America as it is in the UK. So, I mean, it's it's not that it wasn't an interesting plot development. It wasn't that it was an interesting story. It wasn't that it wasn't a powerful moment of someone in a position of weakness standing up to authority over the morally right thing to do. And I think that I may have glossed over all of that because I was hung up on the fact that it was detracting from the mystery that I was interested in. And I, in retrospect, worry that I came across as someone who was like, no, no, that that doesn't matter. And I don't care about that stuff. I do. It's just that I'm in this novel more invested in the mystery. And that's what I wanted to continue seeing. And I'm worried that uh, it kind of got lost in the shuffle as I was making my case for why I didn't care for the last chapter all that much. So I wanted to preface this by saying that, like, I'm I'm not saying that it wasn't a well-written chapter. I just felt it was taking away from the story that I want to read. You want to preface this with saying that. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's okay. Again, you're allowed to dislike a chapter. I mean, in theory, we're allowed to dislike a book. Art is famously subjective. Oh. There is no <laughs> there is no objective art. Arguably, the strength of art being subjective is that it's going to speak to everyone differently. And that means that what someone might really like and might be really passionate about, someone else just might not get or might not relate to and might not pick up the same things. We've discussed this in previous novels, how your experience as a woman and my experience as a man can vastly change how we read a character or read a chapter or read a story. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's part of what this discussion is about in a way is, is to uh, discuss our interpretation of the story to help you, hopefully the listener digest the story a little better. Or you just like listening to two goofs talk about a book they read. Well, a baby babbles in the background. (laughs) A baby adorably babbles in the background. Indeed. Uh, With that said, however, we will do a quick recap of that last chapter that I so famously did not care for, uh, in which Beth rushed to Xana's school to figure out what was so urgent that she had to once again postpone a massage therapy session to discover that Xana's history teacher, Miss Hosmer, had accidentally done racism to Murad, 
Xana's boyfriend. boyfriend slash love of her life, <laughs> then flew off the handle when confronted about it, and now Xana and Murad were in trouble. So Beth stepped up to the plate. Yeah, pulled a, pulled a fierce mama bear. Basically gave the whole school what for. And uh, got Xana an apology and off the hook. Yeah, and that's where it left off. And so now we pick up post-incident. Yeah, that is where we begin Chapter 17 of Perfect Little Children by Sophie Hanna. So Beth has taken Xana to a nearby cafe to celebrate their victory. As you do. Yeah, it seems Hosmer did indeed give Xana back her phone and did indeed offer an apology, though Xana's pretty sure it was insincere. Yeah, but like they said, that was probably the best they were going to get. Yes. Some people just cannot swallow their pride. There was a weird omission in this chapter. I was going to point that out. Did Mm. you notice that as well? I don't know. What was the weird omission you noticed? That Murad apparently wasn't invited to join them at the cafe. Oh, you're right. Despite the fact that he was the one who racism happened to, and presumably he also got an apology and this was also a victory for him, He is nowhere to be seen. Beth just takes Xana and off they go to a cafe and no one thinks twice about it. And I actually was like, that is weird. I am embarrassed that I didn't notice that. But you're absolutely right. It is weird that they did not invite Murad to come celebrate with them. (laughs) I'm going to guess that since Murad was in, air quotes, interviews first, he is probably with his parents uh, dealing with the subject. Oh, sorry dealing with the incident a little differently. Well, possibly, but I mean, it's Beth wasn't even supposed to be there when they interviewed Santa. So my guess is that Murad had been like moved off to a waiting space while they were going to talk to Xana and had not they had not contacted his parents yet would be my guess. Possibly. And he had probably not contacted his parents yet. My point is it seemed weird that Murad wasn't there because he was so central to the last chapter, and this was also a victory for him, and he is friends to the family and boyfriend to Xana. So Mm -hmm. it just jumped out at me that Murad was apparently left at the school, and they went off to celebrate together. That said, I understand from a narrative structure point that he is dead weight in this chapter. There's no reason for him to be there other than it makes sense for him to be there. Because he's not going to add anything to the conversation, and the conversation needs to move back towards the actual plot of the story. Yeah. Beth also kind of defends Dom here, saying, you know, you didn't have to ask specifically for me. I was busy. You could have had your dad come here. He also would have stood up for you. And Xana kind of scoffs at this. No, dad would have asked for an apology, but he would have probably conceded to detentions or something in exchange for that. Because we did have our phones and we were giving Hosmer lip. Yeah, he would have defended her. It wouldn't have been the same. No. And there's two interesting things that come out of this. Number one, Xana kind of tips her hand here that she was hoping Beth would come and get her out of trouble. Something she explicitly denied in the previous chapter. Because you remember last chapter, she said, "I, I didn't ask you here to fight my battle for me. I asked you here to give me advice on what I should do. But here she's kind of going, I called you here to fight my battle for me and to get me out of trouble. Uh, Not necessarily. She kind of is. Kind of, yeah. Xana actually also drops a huge bomb here about how Beth doesn't know a newspaper editor. Yeah. Turns out Beth has quite the poker face because she was bluffing about that whole thing. Yeah. And while she's doing her victory lap here, Xana also 
says, you know, this actually has given me the motivation to redouble my studies because the best revenge at this juncture would be to excel beyond their expectations. Yes. Now, whereas normally this might make Beth happy that, oh, good, you're finally going to take your studies seriously. In fact, that's the farthest thing from her mind because her mind has moved back to Tilly and the Lewis Braid stalking incident. Of course, there is an investigation afoot. Indeed. She's brought back to the fact that at the time that she was told about it, she thought about how out of character it was for him, specifically because Tilly's not his type. Right. Well, we've talked about this before, too. Yeah, and that makes her kind of reframe it when Xana talks about her new desire to study. How if somebody asked, she might be like, oh, it was just a last-minute decision that I didn't want to fail, so I took it more seriously. When in reality... It's out of spite. It's out of spite. And that makes Beth wonder, well, what if Lewis's motivation here was different? What if he was using the excuse of stalking, but it was something else? Yes. This is kind of something we'd speculated about before. Yeah, kind of, sort of, but not to this degree. And not from this perspective. Right. Yeah. Beth is basically wondering if Lewis Braid used stalking Tilly as a convenient excuse to cover up what he was really up to. Which was stalking his old house. Possibly. Possibly. They don't at any point in this chapter posit what he might have actually been doing. Yeah. Just that stalking was apparently the more acceptable explanation for what he was Here's doing. Here's the problem I have with the rest of this conversation between Beth and Xana. They posit a lot of scenario mm-hmm. without actually answering any questions or providing any reasons. Okay. Yeah. Lewis wasn't actually stalking Tilly. Why? I mean, to be fair, Beth and Xana are doing a lot of Beth and Xana insertion here. Yeah. Because most of what they speculate on this chapter is, like, woven from whole cloth. It comes from thin air. Oh, yeah. It is backed by zero evidence and is based entirely upon their assumptions and their feelings about the situation. Yeah, they're taking guesses, and they're not even explaining why their guesses would make sense. They're just brainstorming. They're just throwing stuff at the wall. Well, there's no bad ideas in brainstorming. (laughs) Fair enough. Beth kind of gives Xana a quick summation here of the of the situation and points out that one of the flaws in Tilly's story is that he stopped when confronted. They caught him in the backyard. They were like, what are you up to? He admitted to the stalking. They were like, please don't do that anymore. And then he stopped. And he went, okay. And she feels that that doesn't really track because if Lewis was really a stalker, he might say he'd stop, but wouldn't. And especially with a go-getter like Lewis... Right? The wouldn't Lu- have given up so The easy. Lewis we know yeah. wouldn't have just been like, all right, bye. Yeah, that doesn't really track with what we know of Lewis's character. Right. So Beth's theory is that Tilly noticed Lewis loitering around a few times, but it was less he's lurking around suspiciously and more she noticed him on Whittier Lane and has now reframed it as suspicious because of the stalking confession. Yes. And that maybe he was just like sitting in his car across the street and she noticed and being... The one gregarious person on Whittier Lane, of course, she went over, tapped on his window, and was like, hey, Lewis, what are you doing back from Florida? <laughs> the better answer to whatever it was he was actually doing turned out to be that he was stalking Tilly. But yeah, basically, he suspected Tilly was getting suspicious, so to throw off suspicion, he got caught, quote unquote, like smelling her pajamas out of the wash or something. <laughs> and then, oh, yeah, it turns out I'm in love with her and I'm stalking her. You're right. That's terrible of me. I will never do it again. And he never did. It's an obvious answer to his weird behavior. Yep. One that satisfies their curiosity. And reframed it as they have now seems extra suspicious. Yeah. Because it's not stalking. It's something else. And Xana 
is like, well, we don't know exactly where she caught Lewis. And Beth says, well, I'll follow back up with Tilly and ask the first couple times you saw Lewis. Was he like in his car? Was he across the street? Was he in your garden? Like, where was he? So we can get a better idea what's going on here. That's sounding like detective talk. Xana also then brings up something she'd thought of, how Tilly mentioned Flora was such a ghost during the time that they were living at 16 Whittier Lane. She kind of posits, what if Lewis and Flora were doing that on purpose, knowing that the long game was that Flora would be coming back pretending to be Jeanette Cater? Thus making sure that the neighborhood wouldn't recognize her and know that something was up. Yeah, if nobody saw her as Flora, they wouldn't question it when she showed up as Jeanette. Yeah. And then Lewis is just not around, so... So that's not weird. So that's not weird. Now, there is a hole in this theory that I caught. Mm. And I don't know if you caught it. The fact that Lewis was around? Well, yes, there's that. But there's a much more significant hole in this theory. Mm. When Lewis was living at 16 Whittier Lane before and was still going around to the parties and talking up Flora, who was a ghost at the time, he still had Thomas and Emily with him. Tilly mentions that he was around with the kids a lot. Oh, yeah. So people would have seen the kids, even if they'd never seen Flora. So you'd think that someone on Whittier Lane would notice that Jeanette Cater has two kids who look identical to Thomas and Emily and appear to be wearing the same clothes as Thomas and Emily. Right. So that is a bit of a hole in Xana's story. And just plain weird. Also just plain weird. But again, they're brainstorming here. There's yeah. a lot of speculation going on. This is Xana just positing an idea. Right. It, it's not fully baked. No. Not a lot of answers happening. Beth is also starting to worry a bit about their motivations. What could be so unbearable that the Braids would go to such extremes to hide it that Flora might do this long con where she stays out of sight so that she can come back under an assumed name? That Lewis would prefer to be seen as having stalked a woman than have them find out what was really going on? Like, what could be going on? Yeah, when stalker is the better option. Zan kind of casually drops in a little speculation of hers here where she wonders if Georgina was ever really Flora's. And then she kind of waves it off. Like, no, that doesn't seem really plausible. That's kind of silly. Yeah. Um, but Beth kind of catches on to it. Yeah, and Beth sort of runs with it a little bit. Yeah, because what if Flora never told her about the pregnancy because she had never been pregnant in the first place? Yeah, what if Georgina wasn't Flora's baby? Yeah. Xana then kind of takes it a little further based off that and says, well, what if Kevin Cater and let's say Yanina, just because she, She's we're, there. we're out of other characters, what if they have a baby and give her to the braids? And then there's an agreement that there will be a swap later on. So later the braids have to give the caters the impossible Thomas and Emily. And Beth isn't willing to rule it out. See, and in my head, I was like, why? What is the point of any of that? What is indeed the point of any of that? Beth does some mental gymnastics here. <laughs> uh, she posits that if Flora was concerned over pretending to be pregnant with Georgina, she would naturally distance herself from the people closest to her. So right. people like... Beth or her parents. Right. And would, would naturally push them away. And Beth kind of has a moment here where she once again kind of laments, well, if I wasn't so wrapped up in what I saw as Flora's rejection, I may have looked into what was wrong on Flora's end more. Again, she's thought of this before. Yeah. But she's once again kicking herself thinking that something may be wrong in the Cater house because she failed to realize 12 years ago that not everything is about her. Ironically, making herself so important in this scenario that she's the only one who could have stopped it, and she is now the one who's responsible for figuring out what's going on, because it's still all about her. It's still all about Beth. Still all about Beth. It continues to be the Beth show. Uh, there's also another flaw in this theory. Oh, just one? Well, one major one. Okay. 
Beth thinks, well, this would explain why Flora and Lewis wanted to distance themselves from close friends like us and from Flora's parents, but they didn't distance themselves from Flora's parents during the pregnancy. Oh, you're right. They pushed away Flora's parents after, after Georgina died. Yeah. So, and you'd think that Flora's parents might have mentioned if they suspected Flora had never been pregnant. Yes. There is a hole so in that So that falls as well. apart then, too. Yeah. You are a way better detective than I am. This, I take copious notes. There's a reason I'm the play-by-play announcer on the chapter, That's and true. you're the color commentator. It's true. I sparkle in a whole lot of, what is going on? Beth continues to kind of see Lewis as the obvious primary villain in all of this, even after she kind of lets her mind accept the fact that Flora must also be deliberately involved in some sort of conspiracy or cover-up. But she keeps trying to frame Flora as a victim here. She actually even wonders if naming the two youngest kids, Thomas and Emily, and possibly nicknaming a still-living Georgina Chimpy might be deliberate acts of cruelty. And that kind of tracks with, again, what we know of Lewis's really twisted sense of humor. Yeah, she even confirms it with Zan like in conversation, saying that it's the kind of taunt that he would have. Yeah. This loops us back around to something else we posited before. Lewis is the obvious bad guy. Beth had made up her mind way earlier than this, that Lewis must be the bad guy. I know what path you're going down. And and she's refusing to accept the idea that Flora and Lewis may have fundamentally changed in the 12 years since last they knew each other. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that Flora's the bad guy. No, but you're thinking it real loud. I'm not ruling out the idea that Lewis might be the bad guy. I'm, I'm saying that I think that the rug has yet to be pulled out from underneath Beth. I think that oh, definitely. maybe Lou Monday was right in what she said earlier, that the situation is far more complicated and weird than anybody is fully prepared to accept. And I think that includes Beth. Mm -hmm. I think she's going to be very surprised by the truth. I It absolutely includes us. Yeah. Because I don't have any answers at all to anything ever. And for her to be really surprised by the truth, the more surprising option is that Flora's the villain and that Lewis is just a hapless accomplice, that he's actually a victim in all this. Could be. But... What do I know? I'm not writing the story. And again, we still have, we have a jumble of puzzle pieces and no idea where they all go yet. So, Yeah, we're, and we're only about two-thirds of the way through this book. So there is more to come. There's more to come in this chapter, too, because we smash cut back to home. Oh, yeah. Carrying on, then. Dom's waiting there when they arrive to tell them that PC Paul Pollard called while they were out. He is He looks like the cat who ate the canary. He is super smug about this. But he also kind of leaves her hanging because, to be fair, the more pressing thing on his mind is what happened at the school. Yeah, because, you know, his daughter called him in a panic. Yeah. Uh, Beth gives him a super unsatisfactory answer because she's far more interested in his news. <laughs> of course she is. And he kind of relents and says, okay, PC Paul Pollard did go to 16 Whittier Lane. He did speak to Kevin, Yanina, and the kids. And he has come to the conclusion that it doesn't appear that anything untoward is happening there. Yeah, everything seems fine. Beth bombards Dom with questions, asking Dom questions that she would have asked PC Paul Pollard that Dom, of course, did not. Of course not, because he, I don't want to say he doesn't care. He cares, but he is not nearly as invested as Beth is. And he didn't think of all these questions to ask because he doesn't care about the answers. No, he's he's not obsessed with this. And he's satisfied with an answer of it doesn't look like anything weird is going on. Yeah, go on about your life, which is what he wanted. Yeah, he 
tries very hard not to lose his temper here. And ultimately fails. And he does. He does go off. Uh, he says, you know, I'm done with this obsession of yours. I don't care what's going on with the braids or the caters or whoever it is. I just want this to end so we can move on with our lives. <laughs> yes, there's something weird. It's none of our business. And can who we cares? Yeah. Can we please stop now? This, interestingly, actually, like, resets Beth to one. She's calmer after this. And I think that it's because they've both been tiptoeing around this argument for chapters, for most of the book. (laughs) And they've both been on edge about it. Now that Dom's out in the open about it, Beth is like, okay, cool. We can deal with this now. Yeah, we've reached peak. (laughs) And now... We can move past this. Yeah, now they can get some resolution on this and they can move on. And Beth tells him, I will stop talking to you about this. But one last question. Did PC Paul Pollard say anything else? And Dom heaves a sigh, (laughs) says, the caters did admit to lying about the kids' names, but it's because they were worried that you were stalking the kids. Legit. Yeah. Beth does confirm she's not intending to follow back up with PC Paul Pollard because she's pretty much done with him. Mm-hmm. Xana actually even says that Paul Pollard spooned it, uh, which is a wonderful bit of UK slang. It's a little Britishism. Yeah. Uh, she's basically saying he screwed up the investigation because he's a naive fool and he bought the caters lies. Yeah. That's what she means by spooned it. Uh, so the advice she got from the podcast a couple chapters ago from her client, comes back into her mind about imagining uh, outcome A at its best possible conclusion and Mm -hmm. outcome B at its best possible conclusion. And somehow she justifies that the police route, option A, if you will, this is the best possible conclusion. This is the best she could have expected from PC Paul Pollard. Yeah, he went, he looked at it himself, he didn't find anything that made him suspicious, and he's done with the investigation. Yeah, so clearly that means that she must follow option B, which is to do the deep dive investigation herself. Yeah. To to get her vigilante detective on and go hunt some clues. Yeah. Except no, though, because the best possible option for option A would have been for the police to solve the mystery so she could just be done. So the advice kind of falls apart a little bit for me because she's, I hate to say it, she's twisted it into, well, well, that was the best he could do. So this is clearly the right option. I'm going to grab my deerstalker and my magnifying glass and off we go. She turned it into the answer she wanted all along. Which is very... Beth. It's kind and, of her M.O. now. And kind of a microcosm for the trajectory of this story. She's not satisfied with any of the answers presented to her. She's <laughs> determined to get the answers she wants. Yep. And apparently the next stop to find those answers is going to be a trip to Florida. Insert jet plane noise here. Well, not necessarily. We don't know if that's actually how the next chapter is going to be. Oh, that's fair enough. But she does say to Dom that she needs to go to Florida and follow up on the braids there. Actually, uh, I wrote a little... Uh, prediction at the bottom of my notes. The next chapter is either going to start with Dom completely losing it with her or Beth on a flight to Florida. I don't think Dom is going to completely lose it with her. Do you think she'll get on a flight to Florida? There might be a third option of, I don't know, but those are my, those are my two main ones, I think. There might be a third option. Um, I think the more likely option is she is actually going to go to Florida. Probably. Because there's 
clearly more clues to be had there as to what's going on. Because in theory, the braids spend at least part of their time there. They yes. have pictures of being there. Their two oldest kids are apparently there. Here's the thing. Florida, going to Florida is only going to help if the braids are, in fact, in Florida. Unless you can find some way to follow up on them while they're not in Florida. And then them not being there might actually open up some avenues for you. Maybe? Who knows? Uh, either way, I think if I'm right with that option and Beth is going to Florida... I think things are going to take a turn. Yeah. This was an interesting chapter because on the surface, it seems like there was a lot of mystery work, but really there wasn't. And you kind of hit upon this before. They ask a lot of questions, but they don't have any answers. No. And a lot of the speculation that they make is just that. It's speculation. It's based on very little factor evidence. And any answers that Beth might have latched onto are just again they're just assumptions and they're not answers and feelings. they're just yeah they're, they're not answers at all they're just well maybe it was like this okay but that doesn't explain anything yeah at all it was nice to get back into the mystery after a chapter of not being involved with the mystery but we're no further ahead we're no further ahead i feel no further ahead at all we continue to be strung along and Beth is trying to fit puzzle pieces together, but it's just a jumbled mess. It's not equaling a picture yet. But maybe we'll start to get a more clear picture in Chapter 18. Yeah, sometimes our author throws us a bone. Indeed. And that would be uh, what you'll want to read up on for next week. Yes. In the meantime, you know, one of Nita's favorite games to play uh, as we move into the end of a novel is a casting all of the characters in the book. And we will certainly get into that as we get into the ana oh, final yes. analysis of this novel. But uh, if you like playing casting games yourself, there's at least one other podcast on the Alberta Podcast Network that might just be right up your alley. The show you're listening to is part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Locally grown, community supported. Another show from the network that you should check out is Repodcasting. Have you ever watched a movie and there was an actor in it that was all wrong for the part they were playing? Have you ever wanted to imagine someone else in the role? Never fear. That's precisely why Repodcasting exists. Listen as co-hosts and cousins Janet and Lucia recast their favorite and not-so-favorite movies with their dream cast. They also take a moment each episode to imagine which role in the film should have been given to Tony Danza, because, let's face it, Tony Danza would make every movie better. You can find Repodcasting wherever you listen to podcasts or at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Happy listening. Repodcasting. <laughs> Available on the Alberta Podcast Network. Yeah. Along with a bazillion other podcasts at this point. <laughs> yeah, you can go and check out all of those podcasts right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. You can also find pretty much all of them on your podcatcher of choice. It's true. While you're there, you might consider giving us a little rating and a review. We welcome feedback. We encourage it even. Yeah. If you want to drop us a line directly, you can do so on social media. Yes. We have the standard collection, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Goodreads. We're at The Read Along. If that's not enough characters for you, we have an email address. TheReadalong at gmail.com. Scott promises to read it. And with that said, as always, we'll see you next time. Now we should insert the jet plane noise.
Thank you for joining us on The Read Along with your hosts, Anita and Scott Bourgeois, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network. All Read Along music is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Cover art is by Aaron Beaver. Be sure to join us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Read Along, and check out our group on Goodreads.com. 